0: like i can either resent my husband his whole life and the calling that god has placed on his life or i can join him in this journey of ministry
1: welcome to the reclamation podcast where our goal is to help busy people reclaim good practices for faith and life here's your host tony meltenberger hey everybody welcome to the reclamation podcast i'm tony and i'm excited to bring you this intriguing conversation between me and lindsey cunningham lindsey runs this incredible account called Confessions of a Pastor's Wife, and she dives into the deep, dark feelings of what it means to be married to somebody in ministry. Throughout our conversation, we talk about what it means to balance work and life with the kids, her own faith, and how often she gets used as an example in a sermon. Lots of good material here. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lindsey Cunningham. Welcome, Lindsey, it's so good to have you on here.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Now, Lindsay has a unique voice in uh, on the internet and has kind of a unique experience. Lindsay, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, about um, kind of where you are in your life and your ministry and what all that looks like?
0: Sure. So I'm a wife to Nick Cunningham, who, as you know, is um, a pastor. And, One of the
2: most, if not the <laughs> most, gifted anointed preacher I've ever heard.
0: Oh, well, you're very kind. Um, so I'm a pastor's wife. We also have three kids. We currently live in Columbia, South Carolina, which is also known as the armpit of the South. You're welcome. So
2: where is that? Where is that exactly? <laughs> like kind of give people, point them to something close.
0: Um, smack dab in the middle of the state of South Carolina. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Can't miss it. The armpit of the South. The armpit of the South. And there's a good reason that it's called that because it is so hot here. Okay. Yeah. So that's where we're located. And um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I guess you would say. We made that decision when we had our first child that I would stay at home. Partly because we live so far from family and friends that it just didn't make sense for me to work after we had our first child. Um, I would basically be paying for, you know, childcare and, um, I've been one ever since. And I love, I love being a mom, but I've also, um, I would probably say over the past four or so years, I've really started to run hard after some passions. So
2: now you've got three kids. What are their ages?
0: Our oldest is seven. And then we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old.
2: God bless you. Yes, two years <laughs> apart. <laughs> and so, so you said you started to run hard after some passions. Yeah. H- how do you? Um, how did you kind of come to that conclusion? And and maybe even equally to that, how do you manage running hard after passions with all of those wonderful little humans <laughs> running around?
0: Well, you know, my story kind of goes back a little further. Um, with that, do you want to? Yeah, jump in? into it. Let's. Okay. I mean, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> So, like I said, I'm a pastor's wife, and which you know that obviously, but this is not something I've always wanted for myself. And I'm actually pretty honest about that. Um, Growing up, I was very, you know, I was raised in a Christian home um, and we went to church all the time. But I think like sometime around high school, I was kind of burned by some of the leadership in the church and specifically like a pastor's family Mm. and um I kind of knew moving forward like "Mm, I never want that to be my life like I never want to be a pastor's wife so then I met Nick and at the time he was not in ministry that was his background but he was working at a gym now where did
2: you guys meet at
0: we Do you want the short version and the real version?
2: (laughs) (laughs) The real version. Always real.
0: Okay. Well, we tell everybody mutual friends, but if we're honest, it was through Facebook.
2: Of course it was.
0: Of course. (laughs) So, yeah, we met. um, We were both out of school. And we did, to our credit, we did have mutual friends. And it still blows my mind that we had never met in person before we made the virtual connection. but. Yeah, so we met at a college. He was working at a gym at the time. I actually graduated from college with an exercise science degree. So we kind of hit it off there. But um, shortly, at, shortly into our dating relationship, he's like, I think I need to go back into ministry. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, you're just in love and you're like, whatever you want to do, I support you. But then it got real, like really fast. Mm-hmm. And um, he got a job at Kingsburg Church. In Ohio. In Ohio, right. And we're it's in not close,
2: to, Right, that's not close to where you were at all.
0: Not at all. But love is blind. And at that point, I knew that like if we wanted to have a future together, then it was going to look like us getting married and me saying yes to this thing that God had called him to, which at the time I truly did, I was like, this is what you're made for. And as, I mean, obviously he is. He's gifted and talented. and, um, But I don't think I really realized the implications of what it meant to be a pastor's life. Until he stepped out of the youth pastor position and into his role as teaching pastor. And that's when I was just like, hold on, pump the brakes. This is not what I signed up for.
2: So he, he gets He gets kind of this. Most people probably call it a promotion. Uh, He got he gets moved up. He gets the call to the big leagues, as they say. And he becomes the teaching pastor. And people begin to just I mean, I was there. People fall fell hard in love with Nick's preaching. Like I said, he's he's got to be one of the most talented, gifted preachers I've ever met. How does that what does that do to you?
0: Well, so when he was doing youth ministry, that was something I was really passionate about as well, was investing in to teens. And when he transitioned out of that into teaching pastor and was now over adults, mainly was his main audience. I just felt like a fish out of water. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to serve him and support him. And, you know, Kingsburg at the time was very big, like what? 4,500, 5,000. It, yeah. it, it was a lot of people. And so here's my husband preaching to, you know, a 5,000 member congregation and everybody knows you, but you know, no one, you know, except a few handful of people. And, um, yeah, I was just, I didn't know what to do. I, I was like, I do not care for the spotlight at all.
2: So how is this impacting your relationship with God? You're a fish out of water, and 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 used for you know sermon illustrations (laughs) all the time. Right. Um, (laughs) What does that do? What What's the conversation that you and God are having in this moment?
0: Um, I grew very resentful of the church as a whole, and specifically the church we were at, not because of any one person there or the people there obviously we love them but i just felt like they took him away so much so much more than when we were doing youth ministry because i could do that right alongside him but how do i get up on stage on every sunday alongside him and help him teach you know what i mean so i felt sure. like i just didn't know what to do and um i was just like okay god this is this is not cool this is not what i signed up for
2: so basically um, it sounds like you were kind of out of place because of, because of, and, and I'm sure it happens to tons of, of people where their career takes them to a place that you didn't plan on. And all right. of a sudden, um, you find yourself resenting, um, is it too far to say resenting God or at least resenting God's call on Nick's life?
0: Yeah. And I think, I think I worked through a lot of those emotions. Um, And it did not help that we were 600 miles away from family and friends. Um, We had just had our first baby. So it was like all this change at once. And I just, I didn't know how to handle all of it. So, yeah, I mean, that could be an accurate statement.
2: So how did you, how did you work through that change? What, what uh, you said you processed through a lot of that. What did that look like?
0: Uh, Well, I threw a lot of pity parties for myself, which, yeah, yeah. (laughs) not proud of those. And I'm a very vocal person. So Nick knew exactly how I felt about Mm. a lot of things, which I'm sure, you know, was not, um, was not the mature thing of me or the supportive wife of me that I needed to be for him.
2: Yeah. But how old were you guys at this time? I mean,
0: we were, I mean, we were younger than 30.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, so maturity is a is a funny thing in your 20s, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, let's see, 20, 25. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, looking back, that's young, you know, to be thrust into the position that he was put in. So, um, but honestly, it was just a lot of wrestling with God and during my quiet time. Um, and I just, I remember exactly where I was sitting and I don't know if you want to call it an epiphany or a God moment, but kind of what started my journey in all of this was I was sitting at one of the Wednesday night midweek Bible studies. And the only reason I was there is because it was free childcare. And yes,
2: so- <laughs> <laughs> you, you can hear the collective amen from so many people that have done that in their lives.
0: Yes. So I was sitting there and I thought to myself, you know, I can't be the only one that feels this way because. You know, Ginghamsburg was a very large church. Nick was not the only pastor on staff. Um, Your wife was another fellow pastor's wife um, and several others. And I just I got this idea like I am either going to have to like I can either resent my husband his whole life and the calling that God has placed on his life or I can join him in this journey of ministry. And so that's what I decided to do. But in order for me to like move from that point to another healthier point, I needed to enlist some fellow pastors wives that could come alongside me, um, that I could um, vent with, um, but that could also help me flip the coin and see the other Perspective of things and the other side of things, and so that's how like my ministry wives group got started.
2: And so, kind of what you're saying is, is that in the midst of of feeling this resentment and wrestling, um, you felt like God gave you a, a group of people mm-hmm. that that you needed to reach out to, right. and you need to kind of get out of your comfort zone and say, "Hey, I need some help. I'm not alone here."
0: Yes, exactly. So I think I sent um, maybe five or six other women that I knew whose husbands were either pastors at the church or they were at least on staff because that's still considered ministry.
2: Sure.
0: And um, I was like, listen, what do you think about getting together on Wednesday nights And we can call it a small group. We can call it a support group, whatever we want to call it. And let's just like hash all this out. And all of them said yes. And it was one of the most pivotal and life-changing experiences, even for me to this day, um, to be a part of that group and to have the wisdom of those fellow pastors' wives. And, um, I mean, you know, your wife Karen can tell you, like sometimes it was just straight on vent session for some of us. But I think that's healthy, you know? I mean— we can't keep all that bottled up inside, And so when you can like find community based on a similar thing, there it's healthy.
2: So you're saying that, that part of the way that, um, that you felt like you had to balance your faith and your, your walk with God is to know that you can't do it alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then how, how important was it? I mean, why not just gather any women in the church Right. Why, why did you strategically, specifically go after other staff members' wives or, or pastors' wives?
0: Because, I think it was because of where I was at. Just knowing what I had been journeying through with my resentment towards the church and just um, ministry as a whole. And ministry life is so unique. Just like, say you're the wife of a coach. Like, coaching life is so unique or being the wife of a doctor. I mean, that's a unique life with having a husband who's on call 24-7. Um, so I needed other women who could understand the uniqueness of ministry and who could understand the whole glass house life, so to speak.
2: Glass house wife. You got to tell us more about that. What, <laughs> how, how would you, I mean, so, so many of our listeners aren't going to uh, resonate with that maybe necessarily so kind of break that down help them see um, what a, a glass house is in terms of your life what it looks like and then um, and then maybe I think they'll probably see some of their own life in that
0: yeah so you know kind of like what you mentioned earlier always being used for sermon illustration sure um, which obviously Nick always asks And I always say, that's fine. You know, sometimes I've been like, eh, probably not. Maybe that's not a good idea. So when he's up there, you know, on a regular basis and he's using me or our relationship or our family as illustrations, which obviously, I mean, that's important to be able to relate to your congregation. Um, People know you, but you don't know them. And so Mm -hmm. they get a glimpse into your life but you don't know who all these people are, you know, and that's what it feels like. Oftentimes it feels like you're this person trapped, for lack of better words, inside of a glass house, and everybody can see what you're doing. Um, they get front row seats to how you parent, um, how you spend your money. I mean, all the things that maybe you don't necessarily want everybody to know, but it's just par for the course when you're married to a pastor. Yeah,
2: there, there is something about, uh, the gospel, which requires this kind of intimate look into people's lives. And as, as pastors uh, and, and Nick does this as well as anyone, we're, we're called to share that. Right. And uh, you know, a lot of us pastors will, will do anything for a good laugh. Mm-hmm. And so sharing some of those more embarrassing moments uh, it, it has to have a huge impact on our families. So how, how many times do you think in the hallway before you walked into a sermon, since they had multiple sermons, did, did someone walk up to you and say, your husband talked about you today?
0: Oh, all the time. Like I've lost count how many times that happens, which, you know, like I said, I'm fine with, but, um, how,
2: how does that feel though? When somebody, and and let's be honest, you don't know everybody's name in the church, right?
0: How, oh no.
2: So when somebody walks up to you and says, Lindsay, that was just the most hysterical, thing, what's going through your mind in that moment?
0: I'm like, oh my goodness, what did he actually say? Like, I know what maybe he was going to say, but in the moment, what did he say? And now I'm like, what do these people think? You know? Um, yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting thing.
2: So you find these women of like-minded and, and, and really they all have the same vision, mission in mind in terms of right. their family unit and mm-hmm. what that looks like. You guys start meeting on a regular basis. What changes, what changes inside of you?
0: Um, I think number one is that kind of what you've already said before. We're better together. Um, we were created in the image of a relational God. And so therefore we need to be in relationship with others. And so I think through that, I realized I can't do this ministry life without them, without some sort of, um, community that comes alongside me, they see all my imperfections. They see the good things about me and they cheer me on. And I think that was one of, one of the things that I could say about all those women in that group is that we cheered each other on in whatever it is that we were doing. Because for some of us in that group, they worked full time. Others of us stayed at home. Some of us were teachers. Some of us were nurses. Like It was, it was a big mix of what we all did alongside of being a pastor's wife or a ministry wife.
2: So you find this incredible group. uh, You get deeply connected. You share intimately in each other's stories. And then as is often the case in life and in ministry, you guys get called to another church. Yes. Not close by. Right. Uh, You guys move to the, as you called it, the armpit of the South. (laughs) Yes. And and now you're... what do you do next? How do you find that new group? Did you find a new group?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Take us, take us up to the to where you are now.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So we moved to another Methodist church, um, one that we were actually already familiar with. One of um, Nick's like long lifelong best friends, Trevor Miller, was already on staff at this church. So we thankfully we already had like an instant couple that we could connect with that was already doing ministry. So I had that. Um, but one of the interesting things about the new church that we are at, um, there's not as many pastors. Mm-hmm. So there's less pastor's wives. And then um, one of them is older, like much older. So it's kind of, it's just a unique, unique thing. I will say, Um, I have kept in touch with most of the women in the group that we had when we were in Ohio, which has been so valuable to me. Um, But I think more than anything, what that group did for me, too, was just springboard me into what I feel like is my ultimate calling, and that's to encourage, empower, and equip women. And specifically for me, um, pastor's wives.
2: So how has your faith walk changed since that aha springboard moment? I mean, you, you mentioned your quiet time and wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. What What is your rhythm for all of that look like now so that you don't get lost in the difficult, messy, ridiculous parts of the church?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's a, Right? It's a big question. <laughs>
0: well, and... You know, ministry is so messy. And I've been saying that often is that um, it's so hard and it'd be so much easier without people, but then it wouldn't be ministry, right? I mean, (laughs) like, um, for me, how do I stay grounded? How do I balance my faith with ministry? Um, It's my quiet time in the mornings, like my 5 a.m. wake up call. Like, I'm not a morning person. You can ask my husband because I set like five alarms. And, but my time in the morning is so sacred to me. I, okay, so
2: I, I think a lot of people don't really know what quiet time is. Okay. So let's break this down as, as gritty and as real as possible. Cause I, okay. I think it's such a valuable lesson. I'm a big believer in quiet time as well. Yeah. What, what is your, what is your morning routine for quiet time after after the five alarms, which my wife does that too. And <laughs> it is absolutely insane to me. Just get yep. up.
0: Yep, that's what Nick says. Um, so obviously coffee, that's a priority. If I'm going to do anything, I have to have coffee. <clears throat> I also have this corner in my house where I have this, what I call my sacred blue chair. And I sit in that every morning and I have a stack of books beside me. And I'll start off by... Um, reading a book just to kind of help me wake up because I don't want to dive right into the word when I'm like still half awake and half asleep. So um, I'm an avid reader. I'm reading like three or four books right now at a time. So I'll pick one of those books and start reading it. And then when I feel like I'm a little bit more awake and in tune, um, I will.
2: No, is I, this like 15 minutes in? Is this like yeah. 30 minutes in? So uh, right now it's 530?
0: 5.30. We'll just say 5.30. That's a generous <laughs> time. Um, I'll Right now I'm reading through Hebrews. And so I'll read just a little bit at a time because especially with the Bible, I feel like I can't take it like even a chapter at a time. Like I have to break it down even further just so I can understand and um, fully comprehend what I'm reading. So I'll read the Bible. Um, I'll journal some thoughts. And um, now, did and, you
2: how did you decide to be in Hebrews? Is that you just randomly picked or you just kind of,
0: you know, it's sometimes at random um, going into this new year. I was just like, okay, God, what, what book do you want me to focus on? And um, I just kept Hebrews just kept coming to mind. So by chance, by random, whatever you have, like, I think it was God, but whatever you sure, want to yeah, call it. So, um, so yeah, just Hebrews. And then, One of my favorite things that I've picked up over the last probably two years is this practice of silence and solitude where I and it might sound really wacko for some people. But um, I'll sit in my chair and I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and I had to work up to 10 minutes because that can be a really long time when you're not used to that. Um, But I'll close my eyes and I will picture a place. And then I will picture God joining me there and whatever it is that he has to tell me for that day. And I'll just say, okay, God, like I'm here, you're here. What is it that you want to say to me this morning? And it's not, I wouldn't even call it like, um, a prayer where you go and, you know, Thanksgiving and petition. It's more of just like literally sitting in his presence.
2: It sounds and, like you're doing some just active listening.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, And I'm a visual person, so like visualizing myself in a particular place really helps me. But I like. Do you have a go-to place? I I have several. I do, which is really weird.
2: (laughs) No, it makes sense. It makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, um, it's just been a game changer for me and my time with Jesus. And He has just revealed things to me and spoken to me. And oftentimes, it doesn't make sense in the moment, but then something will happen or, um. And then I'll come back to it and I'm like, oh, that's what that meant. Like, that's what he meant by that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's crucial for me in the morning. So it sounds
2: like your, your active listening or your silence and solitude in the morning really prepares you to hear God's voice throughout the day.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Plus, okay. my kids are like, they know when I've had quiet time and when I haven't. And <laughs> they'll say, you mommy, have you had your quiet time today? And I'm like, wait, no. how do they know?
2: How do they know? <laughs> what, I mean, what happens?
0: I'll just, you know, like your whole, my quiet time in the morning sets me up for the rest of my day. And when I haven't had that, I feel like I'm um, less patient. Um, I'm a little bit snappier with the kids. Um, and they're just, they are so smart. Kids are so smart and they're so in tune with, um, even our behaviors as adults and they can catch on to things quickly and they know and they're like, don't think you've had your quiet time this morning. have you, mommy.
2: <laughs> There's nothing like little human accountability partners.
0: Oh yes. Tell me about it.
2: So w- what time do you typically finish your quiet time?
0: Um, stay- cause you, you
2: mentioned some journaling in there too. So
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and I've kind of gotten away like growing up, I've always been a journaler, um, college, high school, college, out of college, I would like write nonstop, you know, but then when you become a mom, like journaling just kind of gets, put, well, at least for me, it got put to the wayside because if I can't journal out all my thoughts then I'm not even going to start with like one sentence. So I've gone more to like the bullet form of journaling where I just journal short thoughts or one sentence and, um, it kind of encapsulates my time that morning.
2: Okay, so it's, it's not huge you date every day and so you could go back and look at it later or?
0: Yep, I, I kind of, the way, I mean, I don't, everybody has to figure out what works best for them and what works best for me is about two pages worth and this is my week and I just will journal a little bit each day, just like I said, a sentence or highlights of what's happened that day, that kind of thing.
2: Is that also where you would write down if you heard, if, if God gave you a word that morning?
0: Yes, exactly. And I'll date it so that I can know when it happened in case I needed to look back and just make sense of things.
2: So it's six o'clock now. You've had your quiet time. At this point, is, is it full on day? Are the kids up and moving or you do anything um, else to walk with God in that morning
0: time? Ideally, I would work out at six o'clock, but that sure. doesn't always happen. Um, and because I'm such an avid reader, like after I'm done with my quiet time, I might pick up another book and start reading a little more. Um, but 6:30 or typically that's about when my kids start to wake up. So
2: now I, I, I follow you on Instagram and I know that you're a ferocious reader.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, here's, here's the million dollar question. How do you, how do you get people to send you all these books?
0: So, yeah, because publishers
2: I, send you books all they the do. time. It seems like.
0: So I found out that you could go online to different publishing companies and sign up to be one of their review reviewers. So they'll send you books for free as long as you like, I guess, agree, but there's no way for them to really hold you to it. Um, Agree to write a review and publish it on your blog and some sort of retail site like Amazon or Goodreads or Barnes and Noble, whatever, wherever books are sold.
2: And oh, yeah. what uh, what books are you reading right now?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, okay. my girl. Yeah, I love I, her.
2: I, I heard her talk at Catalyst, and I, yeah. it was incredible.
0: Yes. Um, I'm also reading The Path Between Us by Suzanne Stabile, which is all about the Enneagram and relationships, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, there's not a hotter topic in ministry oh. right now than the Enneagram.
0: Yeah, I love the Enneagram um what, what number I, are you by the way I'm a one really yeah do you know your number
2: I I, I believe I'm an eight
0: okay yeah I
2: an eight so I, I'm supposed to retake the test though because there's some I, I've taken it twice and come up with different numbers a three with a two wing is the other one that I've come up with
0: hmm, I, I can don't see that
2: I don't know it well enough to really speak super intelligently about it but all the people I listen to are talking about the Enneagram right now. So yeah. do you have a site that you use for?
0: Well, we used um, Ian Crohn's The Road Back to You um, site to take our initial Enneagram test. But now that I've learned more about the Enneagram, they say it's best just to read about the different types and then not take you- a test, not take a test because it's not always accurate. But they say when you find the number that makes you want to throw the book across the room because, like, it feels like they just read your, like, journal or sure. your diary, then that's your number.
2: Okay. That's yeah. good. All <laughs> right. So that was a tangent. What other books are you
0: yeah. reading? Uh, let me think.
2: The Road Between um, Us. I think it was the last one. Yeah.
0: Courage, Dear Heart. It's a book that a publishing company sent me, and it's been really good. Who, who wrote it? Rebecca... Uh, I can't remember her last name. That's okay.
2: That's okay. Sorry. What what's the title again if somebody wants to look it up?
0: Courage, Dear Heart.
2: Courage, Dear Heart.
0: And I do know her name's Rebecca, but I cannot remember her last name.
2: That's okay. So <laughs> so you get all that reading done, your kids get up. How do you how do you and Nick insert your walk in faith with your your kids? I mean and kind of bring it back to the family unit for right. me.
0: Um, you know, what's funny is, and I don't know this, if this is what goes through everybody's mind, but oftentimes I think pastor's kids either get one of two labels. Oh, they're the PK. You know what I mean? Like they're the troublemakers or, Oh, those are the kids who know all the Bible stories and Bible songs and they're leading the Sunday school class. You know what I
2: mean? (laughs) So it's so scary as a parent of a, pastor's kid, because the, and and it has to be the same way for a CEO kid or coach's kid. You know, if you have a position where people put you on unfairly or fairly or whatever, on some sort of pedestal, your kids are impacted by that. Yeah. And so what do you and Nick do?
0: You know, here's the thing. We, we're at church a lot, you know, um, as I'm sure your kids are too, right. And the last thing I ever want them to do is to resent the fact that we go to church a lot.
2: It's my biggest fear in all <clears> the <throat> ministry is that my kids are going to lead the church because they grew up there.
0: Yeah. And so when, for me personally, when my kids think about the church, I want them to think of it, of it as home and that it's a safe place and that it's nurturing. And so, I mean, obviously there's going to be times that they have to go to church, but I'll there's some Sundays that we just, me and the kids don't go. And I know that's probably like taboo to admit <laughs> as a pastor's wife. But I truly believe that like staying home with them and cuddling with them and loving on them sometimes is more important than, okay, we got to get dressed. We got, you got to wear your Sunday best. We've got to be at church. We've got to show up so that we can make a presence, you know, make our presence known. Um, I just don't want that for them. And so we talk a lot with our kids all the time. Nick and I are just natural communicators sure. with, e- with each other and with our kids. Um, and I, I never want them to feel like anything is forced on them. So, it, okay. So I- then
2: do you, do you make a big deal about not going to church or do you just try to play it cool?
0: Yeah, I'm just like, we're not going to church today, kids. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good. And, and and they know that that's okay, that they don't have to be perfect. and
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's sort of the idea. Now, what's your uh, do you guys have a, a regular rhythm? And it's okay if you don't, but a regular rhythm of, of prayer with them or family mm-hmm. devotional time or anything like that? I'm, I'm mostly asking because I'm always trying to get better in this department. I oh, feel like I'm so it's, inconsistent.
0: It's so hard, isn't it? I mean, it's such a, a fine line to balance. Um, as far as devotionals, because of the ages of our kids, it's, we have a three-year-old that won't sit still for anything. And so when we want the whole family to be included, it's kind of hard with her, especially. But, um, that is one thing I would like to get better, you know, reading even from the Jesus storybook Bible with our kids, which I feel like we'll go through seasons where we're really good at it. Like we'll read it every night together as a family before bed. And then we'll go through seasons where, we don't, but we, we do always pray with them at bedtime. Um, we remind them of their words, which are really important to us.
2: Now, I, I know that story because I know you guys, okay. but for everybody who doesn't, what what are the words? Because I, I think this is kind of a, a practical thing that any parent could do.
0: Yeah. So before our oldest was born, we came up with four words that we wanted to speak over him, and they are kind, um, strong Hold on. I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) Kind, wise, brave, and true. And that's our son. And he's our only son. Um, And he knows those words. He can tell you them forwards, backwards, um, every day before they leave for school. What are your words? You know, what's one that you're going to focus on being today? Um, And they'll say kind. And I'm like, well, what does that look like for you? And he said, Helping my friend out on the playground, you know, that kind of thing. So just making them aware of um, these are your words. Um, it's like your banner over you. And then we have four different words for our girls. But kind is in all all the sets of words.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you can't be kind enough,
0: right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and so for our girls, their words are kind, strong, beautiful, and worth it. And so we tell them that every day as well, and ask them, you know, which one are you going to? Now both the girls have the same words. Same words because we thought about that, and you know, just what if one girl was like, well, why can't I be that word, you know? And we just felt like it was important to give them the same set.
2: Now, do you and Nick have words for each other?
0: We do not. No.
2: Now, what about any any words for the entire family? Do you have like a family banner kind of with your words?
0: Not really. I just, so.
2: I just a a question, an interesting thought. I, I think on a practical sense, it would be super easy to kind of implement that sort of same um, cultural language mm-hmm. for family units. And if, if you were talking to a parent who wanted to start using words um, and their, their child is older, what would you how would you tell them to implement that?
0: Well, what's interesting is we Nick and I actually um, co-taught a sermon when Sunday during a parenting series and we talked a lot about the words and we we told them you know you might be thinking well my kids are teenagers now and you know this the ship has sailed as far as the speaking words over them since they were young but we encourage parents like it's never too late and you know for us we we came up with those words after much prayer so it wasn't words that we just picked at random like we really felt like for this particular kid or for our girls, this was the words that God wanted to be spoken over them. And so what was really interesting is after that sermon, um, we had several different older people that said, you know what, I either I don't have kids, but I needed to come up with words to speak over myself every day. Mm. And they would put them on sticky notes and stick them on their computer at work or, um you know, stick them on their car, whatever. And then we even had parents who said, I'm going to start speaking these, even over my adult children. So it was a really powerful um, sermon that we got to teach together. And just the feedback that we got from it of how people were encouraged that it's not too late.
2: Now, that's to- super interesting uh, that you mentioned that, because when we started to talk about your journey, you thought that there was no way for you to be up on on the platform with Nick. <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden you kind of drop in this little <laughs> hidden gem that you're, yeah. you're teaching now. So how, how does, how did that, how did that transition for you? Because in a lot of ways it, I mean, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you've kind of gotten back to this place where you're on ministry with him.
0: Yeah. So like I said, the ministry wives group really helps springboard me into that next season of life, which also happened to coincide with us moving down South. Um, and when we got here Nick, his position or whatever title is adult ministries down here. He's the pastor of adult ministry. So that includes men's ministry, women's ministry, all the things, small group. And so he came to me one day and he was like, what do you think about teaching a Bible study? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> he was like, just think about it. And I was like, okay. So I prayed about it and I was like, okay, sure. So the very first Bible study that I ever led by myself, uh, was seven by Jen Hatmaker, of and talk, uh, talk about a heck of a study one to do. Like that's a that's a pretty ballsy study to do. Like sure. <laughs> eliminating a lot of things from your life. Um, yeah, the after, whole
2: concept of the book is about getting rid of seven things every week for seven weeks. Is that right?
0: Well, it. I mean, it's like seven, it goes into seven different things. So only spend money at seven different places per month, only eat seven things for a month, only wear seven items of clothes for a month. I mean, it goes into all these different, you know, areas of life, but
2: Hey, if if you're going to start out, you might as well swing for the home run. Right.
0: I know. Right. Go all the way. Um, but after that, it was just, it was really encouraging the feedback that I got. And I was just like, maybe this is something that, I'm supposed to do and so that first study led to another study that led to another study that that led to Nick asking me hey we're doing a series on marriage would they really want the pastor's wives the handful that we have we don't have many like I said before um, to have a hand in this what do you think about getting up there with me one Sunday and teaching and I was like, Oh my word. <laughs> but, I, but I did it. And I obviously, I don't do it on a regular basis, but I was a ball of nerves that first time. But it was just so neat to be able to like, look this and I, I'm not going to get emotional, but to like, look right across from me And just to see the miracle that God has done in my heart where I was so, you know, for so long resentful of Nick's position and his calling and how do I fit in into all of this and to look beside me that I am up here in front of our congregation and I am teaching with my husband. Like it was just, it felt like a full circle moment for me and just, I was so overwhelmed with God's goodness and how he's just, totally changed my life and my heart for 180 as it pertains to ministry.
2: Yeah, it sounds like that on the other side of that initial fear is this tremendous fruit that that yeah. only God can give you, right? Like this because yeah. it it I mean it sounds as just hearing you talk about it it sounds like this incredible gift from God that once you got past the ball of nerves, once you got past the resentment, once you got dealt with all the stuff. Yeah. And you know, we all have stuff. Once you dealt yeah. with all the stuff you were able to do something that, well, God was really able to do something that only he could do, right?
0: Yes, exactly.
2: So, so now you're pastor's wife extraordinaire. <laughs> I
0: don't know about that.
2: <laughs> but you're, you're leading Bible studies, you're, you preaching every now and then. Um, you've got three still little, little kids that yeah. thought of having a three-year-old, by the way, just almost sent me into a panic attack. We're in <laughs> such a great season because Oh, you know, our youngest is six and she can get herself in her own car seat and God is good.
0: It's yes. Amen. Step,
2: right. <laughs> so um, how, what I, what do you do to manage your life? Like it's, what are some practical tips? Because you've got your hand in a lot of different things. I, I know that you also you, you help on a, another podcast. You you read tons of books, you blog, you, you run um, an Instagram account called Confessions of the Pastor's Wife. Mm-hmm. which you put a tremendous amount of work into. Um, how, how do you manage it all? Give me a, some practical tips. If I'm a, a stay-at-home mom or dad, what, how do you how do you make it all work and not resent God again?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that Nick has really been helpful with me in figuring out how to balance like your stay-at-home mom <laughs> duties plus ministry um, plus just family life and marriage in general is to think of my time when I'm at home as work like and put it in different segments. And so fortunately, um, Monday through Thursday, all my kids are at school. My youngest is at preschool from 9 to 12. And so I really look at that time as that is my work time. Like that is like me going to a physical location and checking into work and getting as much stuff as I done I can get done during those three hours. Um, and then when she gets home, you know, clocking out. And then when the kids go to bed, clocking back in for a little bit and getting some more things done and um, all the different things I have my hands in right now. And then clocking out to give myself and next some time together to talk or whatever it is that we need to, we've set aside to do that night. So it's not easy. It What's the,
2: What's the uh, do do you block schedule? Do you have a a certain rhythm for that or are there certain days you have to work on certain things or is it a little bit more ADD than that?
0: I'm a one. So ones are not super ADD. We are very like notes, uh, to do lists, planners. So certain days are different uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I help with, uh, I help one of my good friends with a business that she runs from her home. So I go over there and I help her with whatever it is that she needs help with. And then, um, it just depends on what the podcast needs me to do for that week or that day. And I kind of look at it at large and then figure out when I can work on it.
2: And what's Um, the name of the podcast that you work for?
0: The Open Door Sisterhood.
2: Okay. And they have a similar mission as kind of that resonates with your heart, right?
0: Yeah. Just encouraging women where they are to do that heart thing and um, to be world changers for good where they are. So yeah, I fully support their mission. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome.
2: Now that's probably true for everything you've got your hand in, right? Yeah. So yeah. I that's got to be something to, to pull from as, as people begin to reflect kind of on their own life. Um you know, to only really dive into things that you're passionate about, make you know, because you have to have joy in it, right?
0: Yes, yes.
2: So, h- how would you say you're doing it, managing it all?
0: Um, you know, I am learning, I'm growing. I mean, hopefully, that's what everybody is trying to do is grow and learn. And this isn't something that all these things that I have my hands in right now is fairly new for me. Um, When our youngest was born, my soul like attention went to taking care of her, keeping her alive, you know, and my other two from killing each other or hurting her, you know, since she was a baby. Um, So I would say all of this stuff, not stuff, but the mission that I'm running has is fairly new. I would say within the past two or two years for me, once my youngest was a little more, you know, I could let her play by herself for a little bit longer, you know? So it's all fairly new. So I'm still growing and learning about how to manage it and balance it. Um, I will say that when all of my kids are home in the afternoon from school, I try as much as I can to put my phone up to be super present to help them with their homework. And it doesn't, I try not to get it back out until they've gone to bed, you know, and because those things are just time suckers.
2: Yeah. I love the intentional focus that you're talking about there. I think that's super applicable for, for all of us is the kind of clock in, clock out, pick your spot, be intentional. Yeah. That's, that's great. I love that. Tell me a little bit about what's happening over at confessions of a, a pastor's wife, your Instagram account, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a pastor's wife, but I, I love it. I love learning from what you're doing over there. Um, tell me a little bit about your approach in terms of how you get your content ideas, and mm-hmm. then what's your strategy on how you're, you're sharing it? Like this week, uh, the week that we're recording this, you're talking about loneliness in ministry, and I feel like you've been reading a lot of people's journals or, or <laughs> reading their mail, so to speak, eating their lunch, yeah. whatever you like to say there. How, how, do you, how are you doing all that?
0: Well, um, you know, I, I told you before we started recording that Confessions of a Pastor Pastor's Wife was just something I did on a whim one Sunday morning when I should have been at church <laughs> 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 um, and how I would regularly just um, kind of debunk this. Idea that people have around pastors and their families and pastors' wives on my like personal accounts, and I would always hashtag it "Confessions of a Pastor's Wife." And somebody told me they're like, you know, you've really got something here, right? Like people need to hear this on a regular basis. And I was like, oh, this just was more like cathartic for me than anything else. Than anything else. And so I decided I was like, well, just gonna see what happens, see where this goes. And um, so I started it one Sunday morning, just with. My hope and prayer that fellow pastors wives, wherever they're at, whether they're in my backyard or they're clear across the country in California or even further than that, um, that they would just find a community where they felt seen and heard and encouraged. Um, And, you know, one of the things about which I'm sure you're familiar about, John Wesley, like when he would talk about the good news and spread the gospel, he would take it to the street corners, right? Well, you don't really see people doing that these days, but what we do have as our quote unquote street corners is social media. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people can bash social social media all they want, but I find it is such a blessing and it can be such a tool for others, um, for us and whoever feels led to share the good news. Um, and so that's just kind of it's my street corner that I've decided to stake my ground on and just to encourage others that find themselves in a similar position as me
2: I love it I love it I like to use the the term uh, I'm a digital evangelist
0: (laughs) there you go I like that
2: a digital evangelist so what how, how are you seeing God work in this account I mean you're you're hitting some pretty serious like this is pretty serious stuff in there. What's, uh, what's God showing you in it? Oh, well,
0: like I said, I just, I, I want to be real. Like that's my number one goal is just to be real. Um, I don't want people to see like the, the sides of me that I only want them to see. Like I want them to know that I struggle with resentment and I'm a pastor's wife. Like, um, we don't always make it to church. Um, I struggle with forgiveness. Um, I struggle with loneliness. Like I just want to be real. And it's been so neat because, like my girl Brene Brown says, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so it takes just one person to step up and say, this is where I'm struggling. And then you just hear like this collective exhale of people saying, me too. And it's just been really neat all the messages I've gotten people thanking me for this community that I've created. And I don't think I've done anything spectacular. Like I said, this has been more for me cathartic for me than anything else. Um, But I do think that God is using it um, to be a place of healing and um, understanding for those who feel like they're all alone because, you know, the thing about um, most churches, they have like less than 200 people, which means, which means that their staff is very small. And so if you look at any given church with a staff that's small, well, that means there's probably only one pastor's wife there. You know, it's unique to find a church where there's more than one. And so where do they go to? You know, who do they talk to about these unique struggles that they face? So I've kind of had that in the back of my mind too. All these smaller churches with small staff, and they don't have that camaraderie with fellow
2: pastors lives. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love what you're doing with it. (laughs) Uh, I love following it as a, uh, a, as a pastor. And I think it helps give me some tools to talk to my wife about and spark some really good conversation. So I'll just affirm what you're doing there and tell God to just, just keep using it, just keep using it. So one of the questions I love to ask people is uh, what would you go back and tell your younger self? If you're having a conversation with 25 year old Lindsay, full of resentment, mm. full of all of it, the the mess of it all. Uh, what would you go back and tell yourself about about reclaiming faith in life?
0: Mm. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is nothing is wasted. Um, everything that I went through back then, at 25 as a new mom and navigating this new role as a pastor's wife. Um, Everything that I went through, I have been able to use now. Um, And I think it's just um, prepared me for where I'm at now, for where God's called me. Um, I have a unique perspective because of everything that I've been through. And our time in Ohio, our time um, navigating the difficulty of ministry life, none of it's been wasted. Like it's all been used for his, for my good and for his glory.
2: That's awesome. I love that. Nothing is wasted. I think, I think a lot of us would do well to remember that on our really bad days. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for sharing everything today. So honest, so vulnerable. Love the conversation. Lots of great tangents and laughter. (laughs) If people want to learn more about you and your ministry, uh, where can they go to connect with you?
0: So I would tell them to head over to Instagram, which is my favorite social media platform, and check me out at Confessions of a Pastor's Wife.
2: And um, do you? is it is it only on Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat or anything like that, too?
0: No, I'm not that tech savvy.
2: Just keeping it simple. I like that's, it. Hey, that's intentional time, right? Focusing where yes. you've got to focus. It's so... That's right. It's critically important. Critically yeah. important. Well, Lindsay, any parting words for all of our listeners out there?
0: I, I just want to thank you for having me on here today. It was super fun getting to see you virtually face-to-face.
2: Right, because we, we record these calls on Skype, because I yes. always love to see people's reactions when when we're talking. It makes the conversation so much easier. Oh, yeah, so for
0: sure. More, more natural.
2: So, well, thank you so much. And, uh, hey, if you guys... Uh, do me a favor. Go head over to Confessions of a Pastor's Wife. Check out some of the content. It's so real and vulnerable. You'll love spending time with Lindsay. She's uh, she's a great follow on
1: social media. So don't forget to check that out. Thanks a lot, Lindsay. We'll talk soon. All right, see ya. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know that there's so much that we can learn from each other, and Lindsay is a great example of how being vulnerable changes people's lives. Love her ministry. Love what she's doing excited to see how God is going to continue to use her. In our next conversation, we're going to dive into faith and life balance with a dear friend of mine. Her name is Chaplain Terry Jones. Now, Chaplain Jones just recently returned from a deployment overseas, so we're going to talk about what it means to be a soldier and balance faith and life. We served together from 04 to 05. She's promoted through the ranks, had an incredible career, and I can't wait for you to hear her story about what God is doing in her life. As always, the best compliment you can give us is to share, rate, and review the podcast. Help others find it just like you. See you guys real soon. Like what you heard? Please take a minute to rate and share so others like you can find good practices for faith and life.